Does anyone want to volunteer just a couple of the thoughts that they would have if their job was just taken away from them to share with the whole class? Anyone want to volunteer? Becky. You'd panic. That's very honest of you. Appreciate that. Anyone agree with her that panic would be a one of the first emotions that would come? Okay. All right. Any other thoughts of frustration? Okay. Just ugh, kind of almost anger. Okay. All right. Yeah, I could see that. Anyone else agree with that one? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Anything else? Anxiety. Okay. Yeah. Losing a job is probably even tougher for those who struggle with anxiety in general. It's, man, yeah, that would be tough. Okay, so your value, like what you feel about yourself, oh, that would, man, that's a really great insight too. That's a great insight. Okay, well, that is going to help direct our time today in the Word of God. We're going to learn, well, let's just dive into it. Open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 9. We're on the fifth of ten plagues. We have really slowed down to look at the spiritual lessons in these plagues, what God is teaching us. So as you open up to Exodus chapter 9, and we have imagined our life without our job, what we're going to learn today, this is the lesson, and I've kind of adopted this. I'm telling you guys the main point of the lesson before we start so that you can kind of have that in your brain as we go all the way through and as we see all the details. But the main point of this lesson is don't trust in wealth, trust in God instead. Sounds simple. We're going to see how this plague actually teaches us and, and uh, is going to help us understand that. All right, Exodus. So the reason why I'm telling you that is because I heard uh, some pastor, or I, I don't remember where I heard it, but someone said, as a pastor, if, you, if someone calls you at 2 o'clock in the morning and says, what's your sermon about? And you're groggy, and you can't tell it to them in one quick thing, then your sermon is too complicated, and you don't really know the scripture that you're teaching that Sunday. And I was like, oh, okay. So I've been working on that. And I've been, so somebody test me sometime. Call me at 2 a.m. and see. You look way too excited about that. <laughs> a sign up for you. You are such an administrator and you don't even know it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Our text today in Exodus chapter 9 says Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell in and tell Pharaoh, um, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field and on the horses and on the donkeys and on the camels and on the oxen and on the sheep. A very severe pestilence, he said. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. 
but none of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one, died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the, of the Israelites was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. All right. The cattle, the livestock, did the work in ancient days, okay? So the work they accomplished, these cattle and oxen and everything he listed there, they made their owners rich or wealthy. That's how they accomplished the work. And God, he is plaguing the wealth and security of the Egyptians. And as we've been learning this, we've been seeing that this is all a big type of what is going on in our world. We are a picture, or the children of Israel are a picture of believers who are being redeemed out of the world. Egypt is a picture, a type of the world. Pharaoh is a type of Satan. And you have all these types and figures and pictures because that's how the Lord loves to teach us. He says, let me paint you a picture. Let me show you what's going on by these types and images. So God is plaguing the livestock which picture the wealth and security of this nation. But God protects the cattle of the Israelites. And God begins this plague, like most of the others, with a plague, or excuse me, a demand for obedience. God says, submit to me or else. Now, does that sound mean to you? God says, do what I say, or there will be consequences. You know, some people, especially in our world, they find that incredibly annoying or grating, even just flat out wrong, because in our country, in our society, freedom of will is almost the highest expression of good. You do whatever you want, with no consequences, and anyone who tells you what you're doing is wrong is the worst person in the nation, and they call it intolerance, right? And God here, he says, you need to do what I say, Pharaoh, or there will be massive consequences. And the people of Israel are, are right, standing right behind Pharaoh, saying, we hate God, we don't want to obey God, we hate the people of Israel. They're right there with him. And so God says, submit to me or else. But we ought to understand that things are only right in this universe when everything submits to God as the creator of the universe. Do you know what is called when your cells rebel and refuse to submit to the right order that God has put them in? Do you know what they call that? Cancer. Exactly. And we have no problem in our culture decrying cancer and saying cancer is the enemy. Well, if they would just see that from a spiritual viewpoint, spiritual rebellion is the enemy that is causing all the death in the world. We rebel against God. And God pushes this issue time and time again. Obedience, he says. His kingdom is a kingdom of obedience, or we could also say the word submission. And Satan will always rebel. So Satan's kingdom is always one of disobedience or non-submission, unsubmit, whatever. The, what's the word I'm looking for? Unsubmission, not submission. 
dissubmission. Insubordination. Wow, you're so fancy. You know, and when we say that word submission, it, it, it could ruffle feathers too. But the thing is, godly women, they, they are called and they excel in submission because they know and understand that they're a picture of the joy of those who live in God's kingdom. When things are right, they just live in that joy. And they're a picture of, of the church living under the rule and protection of our bridegroom, Jesus. But our hearts naturally hate the word submission because we are fallen, we are sinful, and it's rough for us. All right? But, and godly men, godly men also submit. We submit to God's will. We submit to God's commands. And so it's a, a rebellious man that says, I want to do what I do. I want to do what makes me happy. I want to do what my friends think is cool so that I can have fame and obtain what, what I want to get for myself. And so it just ruins what God wants to accomplish in the lives of his people. So it's this idea of obedience. God calls even Pharaoh to obey. He says, let my people go. God here, he, he lays out these commands for Pharaoh again. He says, let my people go. Do my will. Don't rebel. But Pharaoh, we know, we know he's going to rebel, right? We know every single time God commands him to do something, he's going to rebel. But I want to ask you, are you a rebel too? Am I a rebel? Maybe without even knowing it, am I choosing to rebel against God's perfect plan for my life? Some people think, I need to find God's perfect plan. But the reality is that God's plan is really simple. Believe in Jesus, that he died for you on the cross, and pick up your cross and follow him every day. Let him be your boss. Oh, well, well, I don't want that plan for my life. I want the plan that Joel Osteen talks about, where I can be super happy and be super... um, in charge of my life all the time. How about that plan? Where I can live my best life now. Ooh, well, that might not be the same as God's plan for you. Interesting. Are we rebelling? This plague this week that we're talking about is the plague on cattle and on all these beasts of burden. And I want you to think about how all the the money-making animals that lived in that day are, are what have been plagued here. Uh, men used these animals to do a large portion of the work that needed to be done. And today we, we use machines uh, to do the work animals used to do. And so if this plague happened today, it might have been a plague on all the factories, on all the vehicles, and on all the computers. So everyone take your cell phone and just smash it on the ground. Just kidding. No, don't do that. That would be a great illustration. But if we just look, these were all just bricks in our hands, that would be what this plague, it would really get our attention, right? We'd be trying to check in on Facebook. Well, all of us would be lost because we don't know how to get anywhere in the city without Siri telling us how, or GPS, you know, that's a younger generation anyway. We have no idea what street names are. It's crazy. We wouldn't even hardly know how to live. Well, how do I know when I'm going to meet someone? How do I know what's in the news? I, we would just be lost without this. But that's what this plague is. The Egyptians 
had treated the Jews very poorly. They had enslaved them. And the Egyptians had made the Jews, the Hebrews, poor. And now God is taking vengeance and he is making them poor. But the spiritual lesson applies to every single one of us. Making money in the Bible is actually a very common topic. It's something that the Bible tells us a lot about. The Bible says, making money is a gift from God to you. He gifts you with the ability to make money. He distributes wealth and the ability to make money and wealth all throughout the world as he sees fit. So if someone's rich, it's because God made them rich. God has decided they can be rich. So us poor people, we can't be jealous of them because God's decided that that's what they should be. Now, maybe they were evil in how they've done that. They're going to answer to God for how, how it all happened. But if we're poor, if we don't make a lot of money, the Lord has also determined that. And he said, I will still provide for you everything that you need. Turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. The fourth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, God is going to teach us a lesson about our wealth and our money. And we're going to get into talking about our jobs today. And I hope that when you leave here today, we have a different attitude and we have a plan for when you lose your job. Because you might all lose your job. You probably will lose your job. Has anyone only had one job in their life? You don't count. <laughs> you never worked anything before becoming a dentist? See? Liar. <laughs> right. Well, who knows if some class action suit's going to come against you and you're going to get sued for doing some crazy root canal on a pasture or something like that. <laughs> All right, well, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17, it says, then you shall say in your heart, where is this conversation happening? In the heart. He says, you shall say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power and great wealth, and he, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. It is a major mistake for us to believe that our ability to make money or to provide wealth for you and your family comes from hard work or your own talents or your own efforts. Now, I didn't say we're not going to work hard in our jobs. We are going to work hard, but we have to have a conversation in our heart. God says, in your heart, you can have this conversation that says, I worked so hard and I now deserve all of this wealth that I have gained. I will have it and it will never be taken away from me because that is right. And God says, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know. God would rather have us work hard and then thank him for giving it all to us. 
In this country we believe in, believes in it, or that we live in, it believes and it teaches uh, this principle that almost is never changing, that hard work will mean success. And I understand that that's the way the world practically works, but that doesn't work in our hearts. And God is concerned about our hearts. And he says, be careful that you think you can do this apart from me. Because our heart is our identity. It's who we are. And I loved your comment, D, that if you lost your job, your identity would be shaken. Who I am. Where, where is my value now? And God is protecting you from that. Because his world is wild and his world is crazy that he has made, but it does not guarantee that you won't suffer and you won't lose your job. God doesn't guarantee that. But he will guarantee he will give you what you need. He will provide for you and your family when you ask him and put your trust in him. That is his promise. He said, he mentioned the word covenant there. His promise, he will be faithful to that promise. Our identity is so wrapped up in what we do for a living, in the amount of money that we make, in the kind of house we live in. And when we think it all depends on us, we forget about God's grace, his covenant of grace, which is a gift. He says, I can gift you a new job anytime I want. But maybe I'll make you wait a little bit so that you can learn to come to me with nothing and ask me as your father to provide. Maybe that's how it works. So when you lose your job, <coughs> anyone ever been fired? I got fired from Subway on Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah. I have no skills. <laughs> and so I was at Subway working and tried to be a manager, and they're like, no, you're not cut out for this. <laughs> and it was very humbling and it was, I was like, God, I am such a failure. I, I just, I felt a deep sense of value just dropping away. I was just like, I have, I can't even work at Subway. I didn't like working there anyway, so I wasn't that upset. But the, it was a real test. And all of you who have been fired and all of you who have quit your job because you just couldn't take it anymore, you know, it can really challenge that identity issue in your heart. When we lose our job, the worldly person, the person who doesn't know the Lord, goes into a tailspin of self-doubt or a furious whirlwind of self-centered, sourced efforts. Either they say, oh, I can never do anything. Or they say, I am going to double my efforts to work harder and I'm going to just do everything I can. And both of those reject what God is offering and what God wants to see in our life. That's not what he's saying. The true child of God can call upon the Lord, thank him for his promises that he will supply, and then trust him to come through and provide the job in the right time. What does that look like? What should we do when we need a job? Well, let me give you three things, okay? I want you to write these things down. 
I want you to memorize them. These are the most important things to do when you need a job. Now, of course, you're going to go apply for jobs, right? In faith, not in works, not in I'm doing this in my own efforts, but I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask the Lord to direct me, and I'm going to apply everywhere, and he gives me open doors and closed doors, and he will direct me simply by those open doors and closed doors and by my heart, okay? Not difficult to understand that. If you're sitting at home on your couch hoping that God provides you a job, that's not how it works. I mean, he can, but show your faith by going out and applying for different jobs, okay? All right, but three things are very important. Number one, pray. Is that difficult? One word. You, don't, you can write just a P if it's too hard. Pray. Pray. Number one, what do I do if I need a job? Pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 is a verse that I'm going to uh, read to you that is going to help tremendously in this situation. Number one, or it says, uh, When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard with their many words. Don't be like them, Jesus says. For your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. So pray. He knows you need a job. Pray. But don't use vain repetitions. Pray. What's the difference between using vain repetitions and praying? Have a conversation with the Lord, he says. Don't be like this, Lord, I beg you to provide me a job. I need a job. I Give me a job. Give me... That's not a conversation. Pray. Say, Lord, you know I need a job. I have all these kids. I have a family, a mortgage, or I have my life. I need to pay bills. You know all the needs I have. And I ask you simply to pray or to uh, provide. And when I get this job, I pray, Lord, that I will honor you. And I pray that I will give of the first fruits that you give me. And I pray that you would use me at this job to be a light. And if they fire me for sharing the gospel, I pray you would provide me a new job. But I pray my heart would be right. I pray I would never trust in this job, but I would trust in you and you alone. That conversation took me 20 seconds. But it was worth so much between my relationship with the Lord. We went through this very practically. I got fired from my light bulb job. I've been fired a lot. Um, I'm just kind of realizing that as we're talking here. I, I speak from experience here. And I got fired, and, and oh, man, what a relief. I didn't, I didn't like the job. It was, it was tough, but I had I'd been praying in the job. Lord, let me be a light. And, I, and, and the Lord answered that prayer, and I worked hard. I gave my best, but I wasn't that great at my job, I think. And so they let me go. And, and so we have six kids and, and a job. And, and we, you can, Dana can testify that we didn't spend hours and hours and hours crying and begging God, right? We said some few, a few very simple prayers, and the Lord provided every one of our bills, and the Lord provided, uh, it was actually what he used to bring me into ministry. I mean, it was amazing how the Lord directed that, but I, re- I remember that my heart was totally at peace. You know, we had that conversation at the beginning of, of service. What would you feel? And I came home, and I had a smile on my face from getting fired, and I was like, honey, the Lord's going to provide. And she's like, you are a psychopath. 
And I said, I don't know if that's the word you use, but it was along that lines, right? But she actually joined with me and we're like, okay, we're just going to trust in the Lord, I guess. And, and uh, I went out and I applied for jobs and the Lord closed every single one of those doors. And you know what I said? Okay, we'll keep praying. And we just would talk to the Lord about it. And the Lord constantly assured me in my heart, I will provide what you need. And it trained me during that time of not having a job, it trained me to trust in my father that he wasn't going, he, he didn't have a plan to destroy me, but he would grant me what I requested. So number one, this is what to do when you lose your job, pray. Don't use vain repetitions. Don't pray like it's a job. Converse with your father. Talk to him about it. Number two, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. When we had the conversation, what did we say we would do? Worry. And our instruction and our teaching for today from the Bible is don't worry. Matthew chapter 6, we're gonna, we were just in 6, verse 7. We're going to go down, down to verse 25 in that same chapter. Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Well, those are the reasons why I get a job in the first place. And Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's saying there, focus on your life, your, your real life, your spiritual life, spending time in the Word of God, putting my life into you. Focus on that, he's saying. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? Wow! That just slaps America in the face and says, get out of my face, Jesus, Jesus said. America's like, if you don't labor and if you don't try and if you don't sow and reap, you're not going to get what you want. And God says, stop worrying about it. I will provide you a job in the right time and you can work hard in that job, but don't think that you get it for yourself. Don't worry about it. Then he says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither uh, toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? That is the real issue, faith. Faith. Therefore, do not worry, Jesus says, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we air, wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles, people who don't know God, seek after. That's what they are worried about. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Oh, I can't go to church today because I'm worried. I'm, I'm looking for a job, and I'm putting seven days a week into looking for a job. 
you're not going to find what you're looking for. God says, seek me first. Serve me first. If, the, if you don't have a job right now, spend time serving the Lord. I mean, put your applications in, but then give the time that he's given you to serve people and to serve church and give it to the Lord. Maybe that's why he gave you time without a job. He will provide for your needs. Amen? He will provide. And most of us don't even believe it still. Right now, we just read it and we still don't believe it. What's it going to take for us to learn to trust our Father? Jesus says we have such little faith. Your Father knows what you need. Now, do you need a big house? No. So you might have to move. But the Lord knows you need a house, a place to live, and he'll provide. So, number one was pray. Number two was don't worry. Number three is pray and don't worry. And I'm not joking. Write it down. Number three is pray and don't worry. Philippians chapter 4. You guys know this verse. You Probably most of you have it memorized where it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So he says, pray and don't worry. Let peace guard your heart. Pray and don't worry. All right, I'll give you number four. Get out there and apply for some jobs without pride, thinking, I, I'm only going to accept this type of job, or I deserve that. And, and not with doubt, saying, the Lord will never provide for me. The Lord will never give me this job. And not with desperation, saying, if I don't get this job, I will be lost and I'll be begging on the street. None of those attitudes. With simple confidence and faith in the Lord. Apply. Now, you don't know which job, and so apply for many jobs. Just put them out there. And trust that the Lord is going to open the door for the right one. God is going to work through all the no's to direct you to the place he wants you to be. But we get so offended and hurt. You know why we get offended when someone says, no, I don't want to hire you? Do you know why? One word, pride. Pride. Instead of saying, Thank you. God didn't want me to be with you. And so if I would have been with you, it would have been a disaster. Thank you for saying no. Instead of say, trusting in the Lord like that, we get all hurt. Because you don't want me. You don't love me. That's what we feel. And God is like, I want you. I love you. Why don't you accept that from me? You want these, this silly company to hire you when I have a whole kingdom and I say, I want you. Work for me. Trust in me. Mm. The world wants wealth and power, influence and fame and fleshly desires. And it was the same in Egypt as it is today in America. Uh, everyone's getting their hustle on. 
you know? So when we have work, what should we use our wealth for? God plagues the Egyptians' work. He takes away their ability to make money. But he doesn't take away the Hebrews' riches and wealth, whatever they had. He lets them keep it. So what are they supposed to use it on? What are we supposed to use it on when we have it? Well, Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Is this what you are working for at your job today? Tomorrow, when you go to work, are you working so that you can give to other people? Is this what you're working for? Or are you working for your kingdom so that you can retire, so that you can have uh, the boat or the whatever you want? I can't answer this question for you. The Holy Spirit is searching all our hearts right now. What are you working for? To give or for yourself? And he says to give to those who have need. Now this can be uh, your children have need. They're depending on you, right? And you're depending on the Lord. So your children are those who have need. Your wife, your family, your church, the poor. There's many options of who we give to. The Lord doesn't tell you who you have to give to. He just says, are you giving? Or are you hoarding? This is my kingdom. Where's your heart with your money? Pharaoh was super mad when his money, his cash cows, were taken away. There you go. Okay, well, let's test it. Let's test where our hearts are. All right, it's never comfortable coming to our church, so let's make it even more uncomfortable. Let's test our hearts with a really difficult test. Do you give to the Lord? Do you? I'm, it's just a question. I don't want to know the answer. You know the answer. Now, maybe you should stop giving to the Lord. Whoa, what do you mean, pastor? I thought pastors wanted all the money they can get. No, see... I believe God will provide for everything that we need as a church, and he has provided for every bill we will ever incur. He has provided, he will provide. I will never ask you for money. And I'm telling you, stop giving if you're not giving with a joyful heart. If you're like Pharaoh, and you're like, why did it get taken away from me? Oh, these cows are gone, and oh, I'm ticked off now. If that's how you write your tithe check, please don't. God isn't, isn't after your money. He's after your heart to trust him. Now, if you do trust him, wonderful. Give unto the Lord and he, he'll respond and he'll bless you, but the blessing will be that your heart is free, that you know all my money comes from the Lord and I will turn and give it to the Lord and I'll give it to people who need it freely because that's what God has done in my heart. If you can do it with joy and excitement when you tithe, you pass the test. If not, you're still in love with your riches. You're like Pharaoh. And I warn you that it might get plagued and it might get taken away at a moment's notice like it did with Pharaoh. When that's what you're all about, it, God won't let that happen for his child. He'll say, you know, if you can't handle this at this point in time, 
I might take it away so you learn to trust in me. He loves those whom, excuse me, he disciplines those whom he loves, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Paul says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So it's not about the action of tithing. I mean, sometimes you get the impression with the churches that pass the thing. And some, I was even at a church one time in college where they held, they had a bucket up here and the tithe and offering time, they had music playing and everyone danced up to give their tithe and they were like dancing. And then some people walked up and just put it in. And <laughs> it was pretty interesting, this outward show of, of what was going on. But it, none of it showed their heart. None of it showed their heart. It was all for outward show. It was all so people saw that they were tithing, that they were more spiritual. It was all for reputation. We have boxes in the back, and I never want to see you do it. You have to, I want you to play a game where you do it where I'm not looking. And I never know who gives. Other people in the church have the responsibility of taking it, counting it, and depositing it for the needs of the church, and I never see who gives, ever. I've never seen one tithe in the history of our church, and I never will. Because that would affect, possibly, how I treat you. Oh, that person's a big tither, so I'm going to make sure I spend extra time talking to them and making sure they're comfortable. But now, if I don't know, I'm free to, to nail you all. You're not following the Lord. Come on, let's follow the Lord, you know. That's what I'm free to do. Because my heart has to trust in the Lord with that. Other people bear that burden, and they do a good job. It says, God loves a cheerful giver. It would be much better for you to just not give at all than with a grudge or because you think there's a need. Oh, I, there's a need, so I'm just, I have to give because if I don't, I'm a jerk. God says, no, no. God is not broke. Amen? He, the Bible says he has the cattle on a thousand hills. That speaks of wealth unimaginable. He has storehouses we know nothing about. It is nothing for him to provide for our needs. So why are we constantly at the bottom of the barrel in money? Maybe in your family, maybe in the church, maybe, who knows? Because God wants us to learn to trust him first. That's what it's all about. This is a difficult conversation to have, right? Because it gets into our hearts and maybe you won't ever come back and, hey, God is still going to provide for us. Because our hearts are in the Lord, are on the Lord. We're going to trust in Him. There's the right heart to give with is this joyful heart, excited to pass along the blessings that God has provided to you because He gave you that job. He gave you that job. He put it into your hands, all your paycheck, and He says, now what are you going to do with it? You're free to do whatever you want. How much of your heart is, a, is committed to my kingdom? How much of your heart? That'll be what, what we test that with. That'll be what we see. Are we giving freely? Now, God is not asking you to give your whole paycheck and, and you don't have money to buy groceries. He says, your need, it's there to provide for your needs. But once your needs are taken care of, what do you do with the rest? Hmm. 
1 Timothy 6.10 says, The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, right? For which some have strayed away from the faith in their greediness, and they've pierced themselves through with many arrows. Paul says, See, the real plague, we're, we're seeing this plague in Egypt, but the real plague is on those who love money. Those who love it enough to put their trust in it. God says, you're plagued. Like the Egyptians were plagued, you're plagued. It pierces them through with many sorrows, God says. God will not let it satisfy you when you're looking for it to satisfy you. And you guys have all heard the, the thing like, uh, no matter how much money you have, you always want more. And, and, and that is very true. If you're not satisfied with what you have now, you won't be satisfied if you get a million dollars. Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they trusted in their wealth. They loved it. They felt secure. Nothing could challenge them. They're the greatest kingdom in the world at this time. But God, in an instant, plagues them and takes it all away in a day. One day. One day. You can't trust in your jobs. You can't trust in your bank accounts or your wealth. We can't do it. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. This is our, our last verse well, that we're going to be going through. And um, it's real important. And I want you guys to remember Luke chapter 12. Whenever you worry about money, whenever you worry about your job, I want you to remember the prescription for that problem is Luke chapter 12. So memorize it. Where do I go when I'm stressed out? Luke chapter 12. Where do I go when I can't pay the bills? Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Start in verse 13 with me. And it says, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to him, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. So the principle, God, Jesus is teaching this young man who is concerned about wealth and has some issue having to do with his wealth. Jesus is like, I don't care. Because your problem, the principle is, you can't put your trust in wealth. You can't. And when you do, go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. So he's going to give him now a parable to teach him. He gives him the principle, don't trust in wealth. Now he teaches him with a parable, and he says, he spoke a parable saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater barns, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And then I will say to my soul, soul? You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be, married, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This guy in this parable was successful. 
He was living the American dream. He had worked hard. You know, maybe he was a dentist his whole life. Worked hard. Had one job. He was so successful. <laughs> I'm not saying this parable is about you. I'm just. <laughs> it was a profession that came to my mind when I looked at you. <laughs> and, uh, and, but his heart was the problem. His heart thought he did it. And God straightens them out here. And he says, listen, the ground did it. The ground was blessed by God. God made you wealthy by blessing the ground, enabling the ground to produce the wealth that you think you did. All you did was stomp around in the ground a little bit. Take your cow through the ground and you made rows in it. You didn't grow it. I grew it, God says. And this heart that this man had, he ignored God. He ignored God's commands. He didn't trust in the Lord. And it led to sinfulness. What does it say? He decided to eat, drink, and be merry, and take it easy. And his wealth was just all right there. He was just, I am, I'm wealthy and I like it. And God took it all away in a day. Just like the Egyptians. Just like our plague. One day, all gone. God does it here with death. Then Jesus continues in Luke chapter 12. He said, then he said to his disciples, explaining more for the people who are really following him, he says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will put on. Being redeemed, which is what the whole book of Exodus is about, there's people being redeemed, means that we don't have to worry about this stuff anymore. The world has to worry. Egypt has to stress out about where they're going to get their food and their fish and their money. And God's people get a pass. We don't have to worry about it. We can trust our Father with all of it. What peace of mind comes to the heart of a child, a true child of God? When we just say, my dad's going to take care of it. I mean, kids just naturally know how to do this. They trust their parents to provide food for them. And we can have the same peace and relationship with God, our Father. Jesus says, life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. And Jesus says, consider, think about the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They don't have storehouses or barns, but God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your statue? Sounds a lot like Matthew 6, right? If you then are not able to do the least, God says you can't have a job on your own. You can't. You're not able to do the least. Why are you anxious for the rest? He says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God then so clothes the grass, which today is in the field, tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And then he says, do not seek what you should eat or drink, or do not have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, but your Father knows that you need these things. So what should I think about then? We all had the conversation. What are we going to do when we lose our job? Imagine what it's like when you lose your job. And we said, we're probably going to worry and freak out. Jesus says, don't worry and don't freak out. So what do we do? He says, seek 
the kingdom of God in Luke 12. And all these things will be added to you. Do not fear, Jesus says. Little flock. I love when he calls us little flock. He individually knows each one of us. We're little for him. He's just like, you're my little flock. I love that term. For it is your father's good pleasure. means he's super excited to give you the kingdom. You're worried about this job when I want to give you a kingdom, Jesus says. Oh man, if we only had his heart. He says, sell what you have. Give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which don't grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the only safe way to live life, Jesus says, with our selfish little hearts. We have to value our Father and His Word and His promises more than we value wealth, security, or our jobs. It's the only way, Jesus says. When you serve me in my kingdom, when you're more concerned about showing up at church and loving the people there and, and honoring your Father with prayer times and time in the Word, when you're more concerned about that stuff than anything else, it's going ahead and you are getting rich in heaven. Notice in our, in our plague in Egypt, God didn't take away the riches of his people. He loved it. He loved that they were wealthy. He wanted to give them wealth and provide for them. Have you been worried about your 401k? Did you freak out in the economic downturn? Does your job consume your thoughts at home when you should be caring for your wife and your children with your attention? Because that's God's kingdom working out in your home. Are you free of concern about financial things? You can be. Today, right now, you can say, I trust in the Lord. Totally. Are you waiting for that big promotion? Are you waiting for the big lotto win? <laughs> You're, never mind. Um, that's not a good idea. <laughs> Are you waiting for your parents to die so you get their inheritance? Are you waiting for that perfect job? Are you waiting for a perfect job? The Bible says we only need to wait for one thing. Our next verse says, Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. He will return from the wedding, and when that when he comes and knocks, you may be open, you may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and he will sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them waiting for him, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would have come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect. Oh, I was like, is Jesus coming right now? 
I picture the rapture being like that, like some growing trumpet sound. Anyway, uh, Jesus, he is all that we need. We're done here. He's all that we need. He's all that we need to wait for. You don't need the promotion to be complete in Jesus. Um, Our hearts need to be consumed with him, with his kingdom, with his people, with his mission, with his glory, with his coming. And Jesus says that's the only way to send the riches on ahead. You're smart, Jesus says, if you send the riches on ahead. Don't worry about the kingdom here. You give to those in need, Jesus says, and guess what? I will remember it. He says if you give a cup of cold water to a little child in my name, it will not be forgotten. Jesus says you are sending it ahead. You will be rewarded. Then Peter said to him, again, continuing Luke 12, Lord, you do, uh, do you speak this parable to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise sir, steward, whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Jesus said, I'm going to tell you who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the high-ranking servant of God. I'm talking about the person who is a big deal up in heaven. The person who God sees and says, they, have, they are rich in heaven. It's like serving God, like out in the desert, like he's calling the people. Who's really going to be in charge when they're serving me out in the desert? Jesus, this is what Jesus says about this high-ranking servant of God. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. I, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all he has. But if the servant says in his heart, my master delaying his coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come in a day when he's not looking for him and at an hour when he's not aware, and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And Jesus says that if we're, so Jesus says that if we're not consumed with him and his kingdom, we will fall into a bunch of different problems. We're going to grow cold in our love to people. We're going to grow dull, not knowing what's going on in the world. We will be like the Egyptians who beat the Jews, who enslaved them. That will be, we'll be on that side of the fight. And that's not the side we want to be on, Jesus says. He says, but look, but those who, who look for the deliverance of the Lord, those who he redeems, they love and care for those around him. They they're, they're, uh, they're concerned about God's kingdom. They're providing for them. They're working for God's people. Those, he says, are blessed. That's what we need to be looking for. That's what we're going after. Their wealth is not taken away. Their riches are stored up in heaven for them. And that's our study for today. The wealth of these Egyptians are plagued. Their hearts are far from God. They're beating their fellow. And... Uh, and we could easily be on that side, you and me, by simply caring about riches more than we care about Jesus and his kingdom. Oh, I, I, uh, I know church is great. I believe in church and the mission of the church. But on Sundays, I am, I'm putting the extra mile in at work. I'm giving my all at work. And I'm missing out on all that God's kingdom is accomplishing at church. That's a big deal. Why, is that our, why do our hearts feel like that's cool, that's okay? 
Oh, well, because we're convinced in America that working hard is one of the greatest virtues. And it's just not in God's kingdom. Now, we labor, we serve God with all our hearts and all our effort and power, but it all comes from trusting him first. All right? So that's our study. Would you guys stand with me? I pray that you guys are blessed, that you guys... um, that you guys are filled with the Holy Spirit this week. I pray that all the things of this world that hold on to you, that have a grip on your heart, are slowly loosened by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that you can just decide is is what you're doing. Um, But as we abide in the Lord and abide in His Word, the things of earth grow dim, right? We know that song. Let's ask him to do that in our hearts this week so we don't struggle with doubt and worry, but we can pray with pure hearts. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that uh, any words that I spoke out of my own Uh, resources would just be erased from the minds of your people. And Lord, only the words that you spoke would be uh, remembered. And Jesus, we ask you right now that you would send your Holy Spirit upon each and every one of us. I pray we'd be quick to repent and to humble ourselves in your sight. Lord, for those of us who are are, uh, maybe struggling to let go of controlling our life and controlling our circumstances. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us to let go and to trust in you completely. And if you're in here today and and today is the first day you're hearing about all this and it sounds really bizarre, uh, the reason why we have such trust in our Heavenly Father is because Jesus Our God came down and died for us on the cross. He gave his life, proving he loved us and proving that he he was uh, becoming our our substitutionary sacrifice, that he was taking our place of punishment. What we deserved for our sins, he took for us. And when we put our faith in that action, what he did, We are forgiven of our sins completely. Now we can trust that we've been adopted into God's family and that is what is offered to every one of us here today. And I invite you to receive Jesus as your Savior, to believe in Him, to put your hope in Him alone and to trust Him enough to live your life for Him alone, His glory, His kingdom, 